I don't know if you're like me, but <clears throat> I'll confess I've, I've grown very tired of uh, watching pretty much all political discourse on television. If you, if you turn on any news channels, uh, and it doesn't matter which one you watch, I'm not going to make any statement on which channel you watch or what it is, but what I often see when I turn it on is it becomes just a very condescending kind of uh, everybody that disagrees with me is wrong, whatever side it is and whatever it is, and that's kind of the way it looks a lot of times, and so you turn on these, these programs and you'll start to watch, and, and uh, what we'll often see is, is straw man arguments, if you know what a straw man argument is. I'm going to take the absolute worst possible light of what you said and kind of twist it and make it look even worse, and then I'm going to attack what I'm now saying. It's not even really what you're saying. And we see that so often today because we've become so fragmented in our culture. And the sad truth is sometimes when I watch those interviews or those things or on those programs and I'll turn it on and I'll see people who are claiming to be Christians and they'll be doing the exact same thing. And I often watch that and it makes my heart sad and I also think, man, this is just, it's not helpful. It's not usually good. It's not usually, uh, and I shouldn't say always, but the majority of the time it's not even really a discourse where we're trying to understand what other people think and what they believe and how we might differ and how we might be the same, but it's just attacking. And it's also oftentimes very condescending and it's just hard to watch. And if you see that, it's very tiresome. It's tiresome to, to see it and to watch it. And so what you see in our country is, is a real fragmented country, a great divide. And you see people on one side kind of lobbing bombs at the other side and back and forth. And so I mentioned that this morning how difficult that is, how much I can't, uh, I don't like to see that and how hard that is. But I also mention it for us as the church, how we're supposed to live and work and be in, in times like these. Uh, what the picture is of what we're called to and what we're to be as God's people. And, and the picture in scripture is that we're supposed to be gracious and kind and long suffering. And we're to be people that are they're seeking to mend those gaps and, and speak truth into them and do so graciously. And so I mention all this because we're going to go back to looking at different parables. We're actually going to look at the parable I just read to us just a moment ago from Matthew 20. And I think the truth is, is if we as the church, and when I say the church, I mean the church universal, all people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ who would say they're Christians, if we as the church really understood and put into practice and saw clearly what Jesus is calling us to in this parable, it would do wonders for our world. It would do wonders for the fragmentation that is there. It would open the door for us to be peacemakers that step in the middle and begin to speak truth with great grace. And so what Jesus says here has a lot to do with our salvation and what that looks like. And so we should think about that as Christians. But it also has a lot to speak to where our culture is going and how we should then live in the midst of the time we live in. And so we're going to look at this parable today, often entitled The Laborers in the Vineyard. And that's in Matthew chapter 20. I just mentioned if you want to follow along, it's on page 535 on the Pew Bibles. And as we go back into these, we started last week, we said we're going to do about six weeks on the parables of Jesus. And I mentioned last week that Jesus often spoke in parables. He would tell these short stories the way he did because they were simple, clear, easy to understand stories. And he'd pick things that his culture and the people around were familiar with and they made sense to them. And so he would do that very purposefully to make his point. And so as we look at the parables, I want you to think about that. Just the simplicity with which Jesus speaks. I mentioned last week that some scholars called Jesus a metaphorical theologian. Theologian is a fancy way to say what we know about God. 
And so he's telling us about God often through metaphors, through stories, through simple illustrations. Oftentimes we get the opposite. The more we get deeper into thinking about God, we get more muddled and more technical. And it it doesn't get simpler. It gets uh, harder to understand and grasp. But yet Jesus is the opposite. And so that's a good lesson for all of us. But also when we think about parables, you know, Jesus started to speak in parables because people were coming to him and oftentimes trying to use him for their own personal gain. They saw Jesus healing. They saw Jesus feeding the 5,000. They saw him doing these things. And so people, the crowd started coming because it was kind of like, what can we get out of him? Right? This could be really good for us. He's feeding people. He's healing people. And so people would come to Jesus and oftentimes seeking to use them, use him for what they could get their own personal gain. But Jesus always, always, always was doing these miracles to point to this message that he was proclaiming. And they went together. And so when people started to use him, he started to speak in these stories, although as simple and as clear as they are, that those that weren't looking, they missed it. And so it was kind of a way to to guard the truth. And so if you're coming and you're really seeking, then you would get what Jesus was saying. And if you weren't, you would miss it. And so Jesus would begin to speak in parables. And so it's recorded for us that he spoke 46 different parables are recorded for us. And so this was a big part of the way Jesus taught. And the way he moved. And so it's important for us to think about that. And so we're going to look at this parable that I just read for us just a second ago. But before we do, let's pray. And then we're going to work our way through just these 16 verses together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, Jesus, for his coming and his teaching and his leading, his being the fullness of who you are, showing us exactly who you are and the ways that you love us. And we thank you for that. I pray this morning that as we open your word, that your spirit would move in this place and you would lead and guide us in this time, that you would apply the truths of your scripture to our heart, that your eternal word would be made vibrantly alive through the moving of your spirit. We just confess without you doing that, we are hopelessly lost. And so we pray that you would move freely in this place to show us what you want us to see. We pray all these things in Jesus precious name. Amen. And so parables a little different when we think about how to work through it because they are very simple stories. And so the way I want to look at it today is simply like this. Just kind of break down the parts of the story and then look at what it's teaching us. And so the first thing I want us to think about is just the workers that are here. And then there's a problem. Secondly, there's a problem that arises with them. And then thirdly, the owner, the boss kind of speaks into that and he says something. And that's kind of the three big parts of the story. So we're going to look at that. And then we're going to take all of that and go, well, what is Jesus teaching us from this story? What is he trying to get across to us as we look at what he says in this story? And so we'll just start right there at the beginning with the workers. Look at the first two first two verses of chapter 20 for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire his laborers for to hire laborers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And so you see this picture right at the beginning of he goes out to hire workers to come and work in his vineyard. The man, the, the owner here, the boss owns a vineyard. Uh, if you know anything about Israel, if you've read through the scriptures, you start to see this come up a lot. Israel oftentimes is even referred to as a vineyard because it's such a big part of what was being grown and what was going on there. And so even in the Old Testament, God will talk about Israel as a vineyard and him being the vine dresser. Jesus will use this analogy multiple times. And it goes to 
Everything I was just saying about parables and why Jesus is trying to be simple and straightforward and understand. It was a language. It was a picture that he could use that the people, his audience would know. They knew uh, what a vineyard looked like. They knew where it was. And it would make sense for that to be kind of a common jumping off point in these stories and in these pictures he would tell. It's kind of like if you're driving or you're telling someone who's coming into Dawsonville, oftentimes you give directions by the outlet mall. Right? Do you know where the outlet mall is? Well, the church is two miles past it. That's what I tell people all the time. It's, it's something common that we know and we understand and we relate to. And so he talks about a vineyard and people go, oh, yes, yes, I understand this. Now, we miss that sometimes because some of you may not know about the workings of vineyards. I don't know much about it. But what we do know is that the owner of the vineyard, when the harvest time came, he didn't have enough workers that lived and worked right there to harvest everything. Right. When they come time and they're ready to be picked, they need to be harvested. And so he would need to go and hire extra workers to have them come and help. And so that's what it tells us is that he goes out and he goes to seek laborers for the vineyard to come in and to help harvest what was ready. And so he goes out to get them. And so what you have is this picture of of guys hanging around. As we read further, it says they were idle in the market and they're hanging around there. And the, the owner goes out to hire workers that are in need of work. And so you see that picture of guys getting up early in the morning, the day when we see when it talks about the first hour and the third hour and all those things. Their day would start at 6 a.m. and usually they would work till 6 p.m. That was a normal work day. And so when the owner gets up and he goes out to hire workers for his vineyard, he would go out early in the morning to try to get guys to start at six o'clock. And so if you're one of the workers here in the story, maybe you'd get up at five o'clock and go down to the market and wait. Hoping to get hired. Maybe someone will come along and give me a job today. You see that oftentimes uh, in big cities. You see it around here. I used to live in Houston, Texas, and across the street from me, there were a bunch of guys that would get to the gas station early in the morning because they were hoping they would get hired. Now, in Houston, Texas, oftentimes it was illegal immigrants, and they were uh, prime for people to take advantage of. Right. You can go and offer them whatever you want to work because they couldn't work somewhere else because they didn't have the papers to do so. And so what happens is when you're desperate for work, oftentimes you can be taken advantage of. And so I think there's a picture here is the the owner of the the, uh, vineyard goes out to hire laborers. He could go and say, I'll give you half a denarius to come work for me. A denarius was a day's wage. It was a fair wage for a day's worth of work. He could have done that knowing that there were people here who are idle and they need work, but he doesn't. It tells us in verse two that he goes out and he agrees with them for a denarius, a full day's wage for coming and working. That's a good deal. It's a fair deal. And he goes out and he he starts to recruit these guys to come in. And so you get the picture. Guys who really need to work, who don't have a job. And so they get offered a job. And not only do they get offered a job, they get offered a very fair, good wage. And so they come into the vineyard and they begin to work at six o'clock. But then it tells us there's a lot of other workers that come. He says, as the day goes on, if you look at verse three, it says, uh, and going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard, too, and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. And then it says he went in the sixth hour and the ninth hour. And then it says he went in the eleventh hour and he kept getting workers. And he said, well, why aren't you working? Well, come work in my vineyard. And so what you see is the third, the sixth, the ninth, the eleventh hours, that's people coming into work at at 9 a.m. and then at noon and then at three o'clock and then at five o'clock, five o'clock when the day ends at six. 
And so I want you just to think about this picture for a second. Right? This picture that, that Jesus' audience would have understood real clearly, but I want you to think about working in a vineyard all day. You get a job and you're working from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. physical labor in the heat and it's hard work. And so you start and there you are and you're excited. I've got a job. I didn't know if I was going to have a job today. Not only do I have a job, I have a good wage that this owner has said he would give me. And so you start working and you're excited. And then at nine o'clock, a whole new group comes in. You go, maybe you got a really great attitude. You go, this is great. More workers will get more done. That's great. And then at noon, it happens again. And then at three and then at five o'clock, what usually happens at five o'clock? If you get off at six o'clock, what are you doing at five o'clock? You're starting to watch the clock. You're going, I'm almost done. I'm almost there. And you're kind of thinking about, oh, what am I going to do when I leave? And so you can imagine guys have been working for 11 hours in the heat. And they're thinking about, oh, I'm almost done. And then here comes this new group and they start working. And so that's what the picture of who the workers are and what's going on. But then here comes the problem. So there's the workers, but then there's a problem that arises. There's something that happens here that makes the the very first workers suddenly go, this is not good. And so look at what happens here. Look in verse, uh, starting in verse eight. It says, when the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And then those hired at the 11th hour each came up and they received a denarius. Now, when the, those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. And so stop right there for just a second and get the picture. You've worked from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., 12 hours all day in the heat. These guys come in at 5 p.m., one hour of work, and they go to get paid. Now, a denarius was, was a fair day's wage. You could kind of figure 12 hours at minimum wage today, we'll just round that off to say about $100. That's probably a little bit high, but that's a fair number to consider with what's going on. And so they all get lined up to get paid at the end. And the guys who have worked one hour go up and the boss hands them $100. Now, if you're the guy who's worked at 6 o'clock today, how are you feeling about that? What's your mindset when you see that? Now, these guys seem to be pretty optimistic. (laughs) They go, oh, wow. He just gave them a hundred dollars for one hour. Oh, wonder what he's going to give me. They get pretty excited. They start to get pumped about it. You can see these guys are pretty optimistic as it goes. And so look at the end of verse 10, though. But it says they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying these last worked only one hour and they have made equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. And so they get upset. And I want you just to forget the spiritual implications of the story for just a second. Put yourself in the shoes of the worker and what you're seeing here. How would you feel? You'd be, I'll say it. You don't have to say it. I will say it. I would be upset. I would be frustrated that he just handed $100 to a guy that worked one hour and then I come up and he gives me, I'd be like, what in the world? That's not fair. Right. Wouldn't wouldn't that be your reaction? Wouldn't you react similarly to what they said? But I want you to think about why. What Jesus is teaching us and what he's going to and what's underneath this. On what grounds is it unfair? What grounds here are they upset or what grounds would you be upset? And I think the answer, I think what they say here is, well, we worked harder. We did a lot more. We worked all day and they only worked one hour. And so the picture here is, is they're comparing themselves to these other guys over here. 
And when they start to compare, they go, well, that's not fair. And so I want just to ask the question when we think about what's behind them being upset. What would have happened if the boss brought them in and he paid the guys that started at 6 a.m. first? He gave them their hundred dollars and he said, you're free to go. And they go, all right, we're out of here. And they leave. And they don't know what anyone else gets paid. Would there have been an issue? No, they actually would have been really excited because at the beginning of the day, when they got up at 430 in the morning to go and try to find work, they didn't know if they were going to find work. They didn't know that they would actually get paid or get to work at all. And so if you had told them at the beginning of the day, you're going to make a full day's wage and you're going to get to work, they would have been ecstatic. And so what I'm driving at, the point, the problem that happens is when they start to compare themselves to the other workers. They would have been fine at the beginning. They would have been fine even if they wouldn't have known what was going on with the others. But the problem becomes when they start to compare. And suddenly when they start to do that, we get this sense of entitlement about who we are and how quickly we forget where we were. Right Right at the beginning of the day, they didn't have a job. They had nothing. They had no prospects. But how quickly in 12 hours they've forgotten that. Happens a lot in my house, actually. Happens with my children. Right. I'll I'll say to them, they'll say, can I go outside and play? And I go, well, your shoes are out and your room's a mess. You need to pick it up first. Now, my two older boys have started to see uh, the benefits of having a little bit of money in their pocket. And so they've taken recently to saying, what will you give me for it? And my answer is the same answer that my dad said to me when I said that to him. I will give you dinner and a place to sleep tonight. (laughs) How quickly we forget, right? What will you give me for picking up the shoes that you bought for me? I'll let you stay here, right? I mean, that's the picture. That's kind of what happened here, is it not? They've forgotten that they woke up in the morning and they didn't have a job at all. But how quickly, 12 hours later, they're compared. Well, that's not fair. Right. But they were ecstatic at the beginning of the day that they would have had a job. And so the picture that I want you to see here is the problem is it's a perception problem based on comparison. When I start to compare myself to other people as opposed to where I was and what the master has done for me, then that raises problems. And so it's a problem of perception based on comparison. And so look at what the master says. What is the answer that the boss gives? Look at verses 13 to 15. But he replied to one of them, friend, am I doing you no wrong? Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? He says, can I do what I want? Wasn't I fair to you? Didn't I give you a job and paid you a very good sum? And so what's the problem? I held up my end of the bargain. I did exactly what I told you I was going to do. I gave you a job when you didn't have a job. And then I paid you nicely for it and you got to work. What's your issue? That's what he says. Do you begrudge my generosity? And so the picture that you see here is that workers didn't have that job at the beginning, but how quickly they forgot. And so the the master says, don't you remember Don't you remember at five o'clock this morning when you had no options at all and I showed up and I graciously gave you a job and then told you I would pay you? And so he just points them back to how he's been consistent and what he did for them. And so you get this picture of this story and these workers and you get a picture that I would think all of us in our heart can relate to that we'd be frustrated with when we start to see those comparisons. 
And so the question becomes, what's the fullness of this? What is Jesus teaching us? What is he trying to point us to in this story? What is he so clearly saying through these simple illustrations, these parables that he uses? And so when you see at the beginning, go back to the very beginning, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. We talked about this briefly last week, and so I'll do it real quickly. But the, the kingdom, we see this often in uh, Matthew's gospel. He says kingdom of heaven. Some of the other gospels, John in particular, likes to say kingdom of God. And we talked about what that means. And the kingdom, we could summarize as the reign of God. Right? God is reigning and he is over and we are seeing his reign. So, so we can say things like Jesus says uh, when he heals somebody, he says the kingdom of heaven is near. Right. And so what he's showing them is I'm in control of all these things. And this is what it looks like when all things are set right. And you're acknowledging and you're seeing that I am reigning. All things are set right. But then we talked about in John chapter three, how do we enter into the kingdom? And the only way that we enter into the kingdom is saying that we can never do it ourselves. And it's only through what Jesus does for us. It's grace. Right? Jesus explains this real clearly to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And so if you weren't here last week, go back and read John chapter 3 and the picture that Jesus explains and the way he says it. But we'll just say it like this. You enter into the kingdom through faith in what Christ has done for you. Not your works, not what you do, not what you can do, but what God does for you. And so that's the picture that's there. And so when you look at this picture, what is Jesus teaching us? The vineyard is the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about how do you enter into a saving relationship with God? You enter in because you were a hopeless worker that had no options at all. And the master showed up and invited you in. That's the picture that's here. Right. You get up early. You have nowhere to go. I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. I'm totally lost here. And he shows up and says, I will give you a job and I will pay you a good wage for it. And he graciously invites you in. And so the picture that we have here is a picture of the way we see our salvation and the way we can slip into starting to compare it to others. And so the picture is it starts to unfold as you see people who come in at 6 a.m. in the morning and they start working. And then they come in at 9 and at noon and at 5 and, and out through, throughout the day. And so what he's talking about and what he's showing us is how different people come to faith at different points in their life. The ones that start right at six o'clock. In my mind, I go to someone like Joshua in the Old Testament, who was always there right by uh, Moses' side, seeing it all right along, always just in that intimate relationship right there with God. Or someone that grew up, John the Baptist. Grew up full of the Holy Spirit, always right there walking with God. Maybe that's your story. And I know some of you that is. You grew up in a Christian home from the time you can remember with parents that love Jesus and telling you about him. And you were always trusting in that all along the way. And maybe that's the people that start working at six o'clock. But I want you to think about that because quickly we can slip into, well, I'm pretty good because look at that. Right. Why were you born into the family you were born into? What part did you play in that? I, I'm, I've yet to meet someone arrogant enough to try to take credit for the family they were born into. There's probably someone somewhere that would say that, but you didn't have any part in it. God graciously put you where he put you, he allowed you to grow up in that. And so maybe the six o'clock is that the six a.m., the ones that started right at the beginning. God graciously allowed them in nine o'clock is maybe you come to faith a little later and noon 
in five o'clock, you get all the way through that picture. Five o'clock is maybe the thief on the cross next to Jesus. Right? The guy whose whole life was opposite of what God said and what he calls us to, who lived as a criminal. And the only, I mean, think about his life. In God's infinite grace, saw fit to hang him on a cross next to Jesus. Right? You see that picture? And so all the way through, you see all of those. Or maybe the five o'clock guy is Jeffrey Dahmer. Serial killer who killed and murdered horrible people, did awful things his whole life, and then in prison right before he was killed, professed faith, repented, and put his faith in Jesus. Maybe that's the five o'clock. And so when you start to think of it that way, you can see where Jesus is going when he starts to look at this picture. The picture is we can easily slip into thinking. We can forget where we came from and start to think, well, because I've been working all day and I'm doing these things, maybe God allowed me to be here in his vineyard, in his kingdom because of what I'm doing. How quickly they forgot the people who started at six o'clock. They had nothing at the beginning of the day. And it was only because the master came and said, you come in and I'll allow you to work in my vineyard. But then as we start to work and as we start to do it, we start to think, hey, look at me. I'm doing pretty good here. Look at what I'm doing and look at all this work. And I've been working for nine hours and this guy's only worked one hour. And we can start to forget where we came from. And so the picture that Jesus is so clearly showing us is you are saved by God's grace alone and nothing else. And when we start to slip in to comparing ourselves to other people, well, this guy's all messed up. Right? I would never do that. Right? It's, like God, it's like Jesus going, hello, you were the guy in the marketplace at the beginning of the day with no options. And it's only because I showed up and graciously brought you out and brought you in that you're even here. That's the story of every single one of us. Every one of us, we all started that way. We all were sinners, hopelessly lost. And it's only because of grace that you're saved. But grace simply means undeserved merit. Not one of the guys in the story here deserved a job. The owner didn't owe them anything. He went out and graciously invited them in to be part and so the picture that we see here is that seeing that we're, we're all saved the same way, we all come to God in the same way. Now, when you read the context here and you see in Matthew and you read along what you start to see, and it's interesting that when Jesus tells the story, the perfect teacher seeing all of it, the disciples were slipping into this thinking. Hey, can I sit at your right hand in the kingdom, Jesus? Me and you, we'll do this together, right? It's like all, they start to think of themselves more highly than they should. And so Jesus, here he tells this story right in the middle of what it looks like. Peter asked right before this, hey, Jesus, we left everything to follow you. What are we going to get? Right. You start to see that. Now, I, I want to be careful because there are parts of Scripture that talks about your faithfulness and what you do. And God rewards it, which is mind boggling to think about. Everything good that you do is through grace alone and nothing else. It's through God's spirit working in you. And yet he's going to reward you for it. <laughs> It's just how gracious God is that he's going to reward you for the things that he's doing through you in your life by his spirit. Right. And so this picture. But what you see here is when we talk about how we come to faith and how we're saved and how this starts is that it's all God's doing. It's all his graciousness, not us. And how quickly we can forget that. 
And when we start comparing and we start looking down and we start to become divided, we totally miss it. We miss all of it together. We forget our standing before God is completely and totally reliant on Jesus and nothing else. And so oftentimes within the church, we can be responsible for the perception of the world looking at the church. And I want to be careful how I say this. If someone has not come to faith and they don't understand grace, there's a spiritual part of that that can only be understood and saw by the Holy Spirit moving in their life. And so there are people that I've had this conversation. You say, no, no, I am saved by grace alone. It is Christ alone. I am a helpless sinner. It's all Jesus. And they look at you and they go, you think you're better than me. I go, no, 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 it's all Jesus. And until the Holy Spirit moves and opens their eyes to see it, oftentimes people will say that. Well, you think you're better than me. But the sad truth is within the church is oftentimes we give the air that we are better. You need to clean up your act and get your things together and then you can come into my church. That's often the way it gets kind of thrown out there. If you get things together, then we'll welcome you in. But that's not the picture. That's not the picture at all. The guys that the the master goes and welcomes into the store, into his vineyard, haven't done anything. They haven't done a single bit of work and he graciously lets them in and then they begin to go about it. And so I want us just to see that picture when we look at our world and we look at what's going on and we look at the picture, how fruitless it is to fall into comparison. How fruitless it is to begin to look down on people. Because when that happens, we're forgetting where we came from. Jesus tells this story of of how the the guys were, and every single one of them was the exact same, whether they started working at 6 o'clock or they started working at 5 o'clock. They were all in need of a job at the beginning of the day and didn't have any options. That's us. That's every one of us. We looked at it just a couple months ago. That's what Titus 3 says, is it not? For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaved to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. It's not a pretty picture. That's all of us apart from God's grace. And then it says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. The reason they got the job in the first place is because God graciously showed up and said, I'm going to now allow you to come in. It's the same with the guys at nine o'clock and at noon and at three o'clock. It doesn't matter. It's the same story all the way through. And so Jesus shows us so clearly, right? Comparisons are insanity when we understand the gospel, when we start to do that and think and act that way. It's counterproductive to showing who God is and the way that he's loved us. And so as we end, just a couple of things real quickly. What do we take away from this as we think about that truth of what Jesus is saying? And there's a couple of things I want you to think about. One is it, it frees us to love people right where they are. Last week we talked about in those two parables how every single person in the picture that Jesus paints is searching. Every single person you know is searching for meaning and acceptance and love and they desperately need it and it can only ever be fulfilled and completed in Jesus Christ. Every single person you see. And so you have an opportunity. You are free because of God's grace to love those people right where they are. Every single person 
is in need of grace and they're in need of grace equally. And that includes you. And when we get that, that changes the way we begin to move and live and act in this world. That doesn't mean you affirm people in their sin. But it does mean that there are people that are spiritually dead that you are coming into contact with that don't get this. They're still standing in the marketplace. They're not in the vineyard yet. And so your job is to love them. Your job is to be Christ to them, to extend grace. And so it's a wonderful thing when you think about it. It's very freeing that you get to go love people. But the second thing I want you to think about is that when God draws you in and he brings you in and by grace, you're now in the vineyard and you're working. He has graciously allowed you to do so. And so you should be thankful for what God has given you, that he's given you an opportunity to now work in his vineyard. See, part of the issue here that you see right at the end of this story is that the guys are upset. I worked 12 hours and this guy worked one hour and he got the exact same thing. But there's a fallacy right in the middle of that. The fallacy is that it seemed it would have been better to get to stand around all day in the marketplace and only have to work one hour. No, it wouldn't. Think about what it's like when you don't have money and you don't know where your next meal is coming from and you need a job and you need it and you're standing in the market all day and it gets to be five o'clock and you think, I'm not going to get to work today. Think about the, the stress and what goes with that and what that looks like versus you got hired at the beginning of the day and you get to work and you know you're going to get paid and you are sure. that The guy that worked at six o'clock lived his whole life with what we sang this morning, blessed assurance. I know. I know what's going to happen. The guy that was standing there in the market all day didn't have a clue. And that's a miserable way to go about it. And so I want you to think about that picture. It frees you to just be thankful for what God has done in you. And you don't have to worry about other things and other people. You get to live a a life of gratitude that he's allowed you to be part. And then this is so important. I want you to hear this because I know many of your stories. I know so many of you have friends and family and people that you dearly love that are not believing in Jesus right now whether kids or friends or whatever it is, and it's heartbreaking and it is so hard to deal with that. And I just want you to hear this. You do not give up on anyone. You continue to pray. They may be the five o'clock one. And you don't know. And as long as there is light in this day, you have the opportunity to continue to love them and continue to intercede on their behalf and continue to beg God that they would be brought into the vineyard. And so you do that. You be faithful in what God's allowed you to be part. And you continue to pray and you continue to seek that God might open their eyes and show it. And so as we we close just with that picture What would it look like if we as the church lived that way? Just overcome with my whole life. Everything I have is because of Jesus and nothing else. It gives us an assurance. It gives us a gratefulness. But it also gives us a great mission to go out and live expectantly that God is still drawing people into his kingdom. And he chooses us, allows us to be part of that. What a great and glorious privilege that is. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for these these stories. I thank you that uh, 
you care for us so much that you came to us and that you, you told these stories and you walked amongst your people and you began to continue to show us and, and point us to the truth. I thank you for these that so reveal uh, our hearts, the good and the bad, the ways that we want to make it about us and what we do and that you just gently remind us, you keep pointing us back to your grace and I thank you for that. I pray that we truly would be a people that just lives out of an overflow of grace, of what you've done for us, that we would see each person in that light as a great opportunity to extend exactly what you did to us, that we were the, the ones without a job and without any hope and that you came and you gave it to us. And so we thank you for that. We pray that we would do the same to each person that we come into contact with. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.